Welcome to the Managing Midget Podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. In a moment, we're going to be joined by Ewan McTeer to break down the Espanol game. We recorded shortly after the post-game press conferences and, uh, and break it down from A to Z, a fun game to talk about. Uh, before we get underway, just wanted to... Little announcement, actually. Um, over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid, we're making a big push in 2020. But we're actually starting this week. We want to get to 1,000 patrons. That's the goal, as quickly as possible. Um, there are a lot of reasons we want to do this. One is we're, we're moving a lot of our content to patreon.com. We're still going to do the one free show per week on the weekend. Um, but I'm not sure beyond that how much of it's going to be free. I think most of it's going to be moved to Patreon, if not all of it, outside of that one free show. So the loan tracker with Matt and I, anything with Castilla, with Sam, the mailbag with Lucas, our historical segment. we got a fun one coming up next week, actually, to revisit the Redondo Taconasa with Eduardo Alvarez. Um, and a lot of exciting um, other segments that I don't want to talk about or spoil yet, but some some big journalists coming on um, who are going to kind of help us with this project. But also um, the uh, the midweek games. So the midweek post-game shows of the Champions League, midweek La Liga games, Copa del Rey, over at patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Um, part of the reason we want to grow the show, other than the fact that you know growing the show is obviously uh, an obvious goal of ours because the more people we can reach with this audience, the better. Um, it's an ever-growing platform. We want to reach as many people as possible. But we also want to invest back in the show. We want to do uh, live podcasts more often in a lot of cities and meet a lot of you. Um, and we also want to invest in proper sound equipment, camera equipment, lighting equipment to record those shows on video, stream them live, um, and also just upload them. So uh, a lot of people have been asking for video content. So we want we want to invest back in the show and do more live episodes. And then once we get to 1,000 patrons, we're going to do a bunch of giveaways. We're going to give away Spanish football books. We're going to give away... Um, Swag, scarves, jerseys, uh, backpacks, all all a bunch of cool stuff. So make sure you're a patron. Join this project of ours. Tell your friends. Get in on the action. Once we get to 1,000, we're going to do a bunch of giveaways. And then we're going to set a new goal for 1,500, wherein we're going to invest in a lot of camera equipment, sound equipment, and really, really go full force and do live podcasts around the world. Um, that's the goal. So we we want you to join in this, on this project with us and... Um, and we're going to provide as much value as humanly possible. We wake up. This is our full-time job. We're going to grow the show, and we're going to give you content, content, content. So join the endeavors, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. We do want to give quick shout-outs to our $10-plus patrons because that's the reward. $10 uh, and up, you get a specific shout-out on the podcast because we really appreciate you. We just wanted to give you a shout-out. So Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Juan Balasia, 01, Frederick Rantakiro, Adam Dorsey, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Sad Omar, Olawapa Mimo Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Charles Williams, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maridista, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Castro Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosnicic, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Soman Singh, Brandon Powers, Rovi Takhiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Muxi Thangal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerard, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. And without further ado, this is the post game show. 
Real Madrid versus Espanyol. Uh, let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. All right, uh, we have Ewan McTeer here on the line. He has just come home from the Bernabeu, just finished the post-game pressers, has put up a couple post-game pieces on managingmajor.com already. If you haven't seen them, make sure to go and see them. Post-game quotes, three answers, three questions, are regular now in Managing Madrid. Ewan McTeer, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you, Ken? I'm good. Um, Saturday matinee-ish, not quite noon kickoff, 1 p.m. kickoff. Um do you? I don't know if there's if it's me, but I feel like there's a sluggishness in the air. I I can't confirm because I wasn't there today, but I've been there uh, on early kickoffs like that, and I I'm not a huge fan of them. I grew up a Raptors fan too, and we had a lot of Sunday matinee games. And it just felt like there was a sluggish vibe to it. But um, you dragged your ass to the stadium, so how was it? How was the atmosphere? How how was everything? Yeah, you're right. It's. I've been to a few of these games at this kind of time and the atmosphere is always a little bit uh, slow as the attendance I think is always down a little bit too and yeah the players sometimes take a bit of time to get going when it's that early kickoff which makes sense you know it's some of these games are earlier than they have their training sessions in midweek so um, it's it's always a little bit sluggish and you could see that in the first half but you know once we got right into the proper afternoon second half Real Madrid started to get going a bit more and were a bit more exciting. Well, the the Wulei fans in uh, in China probably had uh, had had some had some joy in the kickoff time, but although they probably didn't enjoy seeing Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane absolutely own Wulei all game, um, I actually I thought it was I, there's a lot to talk about and only about half hour to do it, so we're gonna squeeze a lot in um, and some interesting talking points from from your article after the game as well. But um, I thought you in like. All things considered, that you know they didn't create that many clear-cut chances, but they were good offensively. And the fact that they have two big games looming, and all you want to do is just get towards them with three points and no banana peels and no injuries. And it turns out at the end there was it ended with a bit of a sour note with with Mendy getting the red card when you're already missing Marcelo and Nacho hasn't played in ages, and I don't even know if he's going to be back in time. But um, so, what were your thoughts on the overall performance? Yeah, I think you're dead right. It's one of these games where you just want to tick it with a win. It doesn't really matter how you play. Uh, it doesn't really matter how you get the win. You just want the win. And we sort of said it already, the performance that started off a little bit sluggish. But Real Madrid were generally quite good, I thought. I mean, they were in control, completely in control for most of the game. The problem was, once they got into that final third, it was kind of difficult to break down Espanyol, wasn't it? Because they play a really interesting system. Machina's had success against Real Madrid before. They play a back three, but they also have the wing backs. So it's, they almost play like a back seven because they've got the three centre backs, the two wing backs, and the two holding midfielders, Mark Rocca especially, are there sitting in as well. So once you get into that final third, there's just Espanyol bodies everywhere and it's really difficult to find a space. Vinicius did really well um, moving away from defenders. He almost always had two guys on him, but he did a couple of times, managed to break away from both of his markers and get into the box. But as we've seen so many times with Vinicius, he just lacked that final pass or that final shot. 
I having said all that, I actually really like Vinicius in this game, and I think like I think there there were a few people on Twitter anyway that I saw that were just like were frustrated with his finishing, and I think that frustration probably stems more from his past than more so than it did today, because I think the chances he got were not that easy. <clears throat> And he did well getting himself in those positions. And some of the dribbling he had in the left flank was like pretty much all of Real Madrid's offense in the first half where he was just beating people and then getting into the box, pass and move sequences. He had that one cry of turn, which turned, totally destroyed Mark Roca. And then, uh, and then you know, he was he was able to create. And then he probably should have had an assist when he laid it off to Benzema, who, um, as you as you alluded to, uh, one, one of the chances that, that uh, should have been finished, but the finishing wasn't good. Um, we'll get to Benzema in a second because I think he's he's a whole bullet point on his own. But um, Vinicius and Rodrigo together, because you asked the question of like when we'll see them together again. Um, maybe I think I think in some ways this was a good performance to vindicate Vinicius a little bit because everyone was saying that Rodrigo was ahead of him in the order and Vinicius should be loaned or sold, and and we heard this a lot. And not that not that it's completely flipped today, but just Rodrigo aside, I think Vinicius played well, and Zidane seemed to to kind of echo that in the post game presser. Exactly, this was we've been comparing Vinicius and comparing Rodrigo all through the season, but we've been comparing them when they haven't actually been up against each other almost on the pitch at the same time. We've been comparing, ah, Rodrigo was great against Osasuna, ah, Vinicius was good in this game. But this time we got to see them both there on the pitch, playing together, and it was easier maybe to evaluate them because they were both there. And what I found interesting was every time Real Madrid going to the left, going to the left, going to the left, you'd have the ball in the middle, Casemiro, Cruz, Valverde, always looking towards the left because Vinicius was having some success on that side. And... I thought he did a really good job of replacing Hazard because we've spoken about how Vinicius maybe could have done better, could have scored, could have had another assist maybe. But look at Hazard's numbers. He's not putting up all the goal and assist numbers, but he is creating play when he plays. He does so well on that left-hand side of beating defenders, creating imbalances, and then making things happen. And that's what Vinicius did. Would you like to see him have a better fine touch? Of course. But he did a good job of fulfilling that Hazard role of basically just making things happen, which is what he was like when he started. He just made things happen, and you know he can work on it. Zidane said after the game, he was asked quite a lot about Vinicius, and his message was, you know, he's had a great game. He's worked hard. Goals will come, and he said, you know, the the famous thing when you open the can, when you score the first one, more will follow. Yeah, um, in 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 many ways, this was like the. The connection between him and Benzema today was very much Real Madrid of last season under Solari, which where like those two were the ones creating. And like I know Real Madrid only scored two goals, so they missed some chances, but those two combining together could have scored more today. Um, they combined for ten key passes, eight shots. Vinicius on his own had five completed dribbles. In, in an interesting distinguishing factor between Vinicius and Rodrigo today, which I thought was kind of kind of surprising was that Vinicius was the one he the difference was that he was getting in the box often he was getting himself with the ball into the box in dangerous positions and Rodrigo if you look at it this game you can it confirmed it with the heat maps after the game but also in the game when you watch um, he was actually dropping into midfield a lot and playing behind Fede Valverde and when when Fede would often make these offensive runs and um, and Rodrigo would cover for him. It happened in the first half, and in the second half, obviously two noteworthy moments where uh, one Fede 
gets high up the pitch, almost like as a second forward, squares it to Benzema, who is one-on-one with Diego Lopez, and then it's saved from an acute angle. And the second one, obviously, like he's on the byline when he assisted to Benzema when, when Real Madrid scored their second goal. So I guess the dynamic of the right flank, Ewan, like um, maybe it's just something, an interesting wrinkle to, to note in this game. Yeah, I have to remember, you know, football teams don't have to be symmetrical. When We we really like everything to be symmetrical when we lay out our tactical formations, don't we? But you look at Real Madrid's midfield, you had Casemiro in the middle and you had Cruz on the left and you had Fede Valverde on the right. It's not symmetrical. Cruz and Valverde are different kinds of players. Cruz is going to sit a little bit further back, which means Vinicius has to take the initiative. Uh, and on the other side, Valverde mm. is going to get forward. So that means the right winger there has to maybe drop back a little bit. So it's... Partly the way they played, you know, Vinicius did play better than Rodrigo, but it's also partly you have to remember the midfielder that is on their side that they're working with. And of course, the fullbacks as well, although both Carvajal and Mendy did get forward and and contribute similarly. But there was a big difference there in midfield. Cruz and Valverde are different players. Sure. Um, I, and I think the Benzema, Benzema discussion in this game is interesting too, because he had he had definitely had two really big chances he would have, could have, should have scored from. Um, I guess it's subjective about how easy those chances were, but obviously the he's he's been scoring those chances this year. Um, the acute angle, Diego Lopez, and then the one that Vinicius cut back, and he one-timed it with his left foot. It went wide. Um, all that aside, and also some bad passing in the build-up that completely broke down Real just attack a couple times. But I think if you want to encapsulate his performance and all the stats aside, you look at both of Real Madrid's goals and like that's that's why he's so good. Um, tight space, the through ball to Varane, who tidy finished, so kind of surprising, um, which alludes takes us to another point in your article about the the amount of goal scorers in uh, this season in Real Madrid. We'll get to that in a sec, but and then the second goal. He some some tidy touches at the top of the box and the edge of the box, and Valverde makes that run and he finds him. And instead of being a bystander, he just sprints back. He knows exactly where to go to get the ball back, and he scores at the far post. Um, those two moments were huge for Real Madrid in this game. Um, but you you mentioned in your article about um, the the amount of goal scorers, right? Um, the like how many goal scorers have we had now? I think fifteen. I think you wrote in your in your post game match. Yeah, that's right. So Varane is the 15th of the season, which right. is which is more than any other team in La Liga. Barcelona is next on 14, and then there's a bit of a gap to other teams. And Zidane mentioned this in the press conference. You know, obviously, he'd been reading uh, Managing Madrid before he came in and spoke to the press, so he knew As always. the stat because he'd, he'd read the article, of course. And that's why he's always so late. But he came in and he mentioned that number 15, and I thought that was quite interesting. You know, Zidane knows. Zidane's keeping uh, count of this. Zidane... Uh, is aware of the number of goal scorers he has and he mentioned this during the conversation about Vinicius but it was put to him a few times do you want Vinicius to score more does he have to score more if he doesn't score will he stay in the team and Zidane basically said Vinicius helps us become a better team and we have people who can score all across the pitch we have 15 players he said that have scored already so goals will come if we play well and I think it's quite impressive and Real Madrid were joint top in this regard last year as well with 16 goal scorers for the whole season in La Liga and they've been near the top of this standing almost every year and uh, not not all big clubs are you look at Barcelona or Atletico they're not always near the top it's not like a, a stat which is tells you if a club is good or not obviously the more goals you score the more likely you are to have 
lots of goal scorers, but Levante last year were were joint top with 16 different scorers. It's not necessarily a ranking of how good your team is, but it's a good thing for Real Madrid to have, that they have players, they have defenders, they have midfielders and backup players who can all contribute. Which I, I think, and that kind of surprised me, because when I saw that in the follow-up in that paragraph, that Real Madrid were actually joint top in this category last season uh, at, with 16 players, it surprised me in the sense that, um, like, if you ask me one of the differences from this year and last season, like, why it's more efficient is that they're actually getting goals beyond Benzema in that he has more help. Um, and once Hazard gets going, I think that's going to be a huge help. But, you know, you've gotten key goals from Fede this season, from Modric. Um, you've gotten key goals from Bale. You've gotten, uh, you've gotten key goals from Rodrigo. Ramos obviously scores. Kroos scores. Casemiro scored and like all of this has been helpful in terms of just the dynamic and attack and giving some uh, an extra oomph and and today you had Varane and you've had James in the past too that was another one I didn't mention but I was surprised that kind of that number was there last season I I suppose what's different this year is that maybe um, it's we've gotten to that mark much quicker and um and 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 it's Benzema's the, it's the quantity just, as well. Yeah, it's the it's, it's the, the sheer quantity, quantity as well. Yeah. I think yeah. last season you maybe had quite a lot of players who had just one goal, two goals, so they did score at some point. But this year you look at the midfield and you've got all the midfielders have not just scored already, but a few of them have already got two or three goals. So I guess it's the quantity that those individual scorers are providing as well. That's maybe the difference. Yeah. Um. Some quick, some quick hitting things that I think are really worth talking about um i thought i thought um defensively real madrid were great like i, I mentioned at the top of the show ramos and varan handling wuli but it wasn't w- only wuli like him Calleja had a poor game and i think varan and ramos deserve a lot of credit for that um campuzano comes in same deal i thought um basically espanol's flanks were were pretty much kept at bay by mendy and carvajal defensively um espanol are not a good team. I think that's not a no, shock. Um, if you ask me, I think Leganes, who are below them, were actually better <clears throat> because they actually looked good in their losses under Aguirre and they gave Sevilla hell last season. I don't see that fight from Espanol at all. Um, there's been this talk about matching surfacing now. So you mentioned in your article that um, you rightfully pointed out that matching has had some good games against Real Madrid before. They obviously had the, the win with Girona and then the 3-0 with Sevilla. And in both those games, Real Madrid had a lot of difficulty. Um, and I was thinking about how much of this is on him. And I think it's, on one, on one hand, he hasn't changed anything. On the other hand, I don't, I'm looking at the squad and I'm like, if you need to bring on Victor Campuzano, who was like an okay player at Castilla, not great, not bad, just okay, he's good. If that's your answer off the bench against Real Madrid or anyone, I, I worry about you. And I also, like, when you look at their loss against, um, was it Osasuna last last weekend, the 4-2 at home? Yep, that's right. Um, yep. If you look at the goals they've con- they conceded in that game, like, I don't know how much you want to blame um, uh, Machin for the, the amount of giveaways that happened in that game. I don't think that's on him. Like, um because all of those were individual errors that basically led to all those goals and the brain farts and stuff. So, like, but how much? How much of this is on him? And how much do you think they just basically they're going to go down this season? Right? I don't know if there's any team that's worse than them right now. And if there is, 
I don't know if there's <laughs> if there's like two or three teams worse than them, which would ensure them avoiding rele- relegation. But I don't know. I, what do you think about all, all this? It's a mess. Yeah, def- definitely not um, any teams that are worse than them right now, I don't think. But I suppose in January, maybe they will make some some changes. Uh, Pablo Machin has a very unique system with wing-backs and he doesn't maybe have the players he wants for that system, especially on the right side. They've on earth, Victor Gomez gave him his debut from the academy, but in reality, he wants someone a bit more experienced than that. And it was even actually put to him in the press conference, um, what about Brahim Diaz? Would you would you like him on loan? Because Machin knows uh, Brahim Diaz through his uh, Girona and Manchester City links. Hmm. So um, that was put to him. He sort of said, that's not a question for me, but obviously he'll be thinking about January. One point I would make about the strikers is they do have Facundo Ferreira and Jonathan Caleri, and they're two guys who have been out injured, Caleri coming back from injury just now. Maybe when they're fit again, you'll see something a bit more in attack and uh, they do have the players there in the squad, but right now they're just injured. But one thing I did think was this, we talked about Real Madrid's defensive performance. This wasn't an easy defensive performance. Espanyol were bad, but it wasn't a case of Ramos and Varane just strolling around, a walk in the park, nothing to do. Wu Lei was almost playing like a false nine. He was at the tip of attack and the wide men were a little bit behind him. But those three guys interchange so much. They run about and you could really see at the start in the first half, Varane and Ramos sometimes didn't quite know, do we follow Wu Lei? Do we let him go? And that kind of way where it was tactically challenging, I think, for Ramos and Varane. And you even saw a lot of the time when Wule drifted one of them this way. Varane and Ramos had to switch sides quite a lot in this game. Um, just because one of them was dragged over there, so then Varane would maybe move over to the left, or Ramos moves over to the right, and they switch around. And uh, a lot of this was off the ball, but Wule really ran so hard, so much, and dragged both those centre-backs around and it was a tactically challenging game for the two of them and they did really well and um, you know they deserve credit for that because a lot of what they did that was good was probably off camera because it was off the ball but a tough game for uh, Varane and Ramos I'd like to see their distance covered because they they were taken around uh, around the whole pitch by Wu Lei. Well they also I thought they individually while they were good they also had good help from Carvajal and Mendy but also Casemiro's transition defending today was awesome like I think people are going to pick apart that. Uh, I'm sure you remember in the first half, Espanol high press, which to be honest, it wasn't that great all game, although they, they did it. Um, but in that moment, they caught Casemiro. They stole the ball from him deep and he lost possession there. And it leads to the Granero header at the far post, which Courtois, awesome save. Um, that was that was their moment. That was the one that if they, that was that was their biggest moment of the game was that moment. But other than that, Casemiro defensively was awesome. Just the way he got back. Uh, actually, I, I, I don't know if you if you were in your seat in time. I'm sure you were, but who knows? Maybe you had gone to the press room to get a coffee or hot chocolate. I don't know what you were doing. But in the very no, first, I was there. Yeah, you were I there. Was there in the first minute. The, he had this unreal one touch volley pass over a really long distance. Uh, I think it gets to Vinicius. Like within a few seconds of the game starting, it was spectacular. But <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think that was Vinicius yeah. on the left side. Yeah. Um, so he he had a good game, and obviously Fede doing Fede things, and he was everywhere. So like they, I think individually Real Madrid had a lot of good performances defensively, which obviously was a collective effort as well. Um, to to kind of and and like like I mentioned, like in terms of sluggishness at the start of the, at the start of the the show, in terms of like the early kickoff, I think you could see it in that. Well, I don't think Espanol's press was that great. 
And um, there was a lot of open Real Madrid players just behind that press. And I think Real Madrid, some of their passing just wasn't good enough to exploit it. And um, I don't know, chuck it up to sluggishness or whatever. But I think on another day, um, they might have taken advantage better. Or, or or a better team than Espanyol may have taken advantage. Who knows? But um, either way, big win. Um, obviously, you and the a big story from this game was whether Casemiro takes a yellow now mm. does he take the yellow well if he doesn't take it now he's surely not going to take it against valencia but i think it was interesting and i'd be curious to speak to you about this because i haven't yet but i'm surprised at the amount of people who wanted casemiro to take the yellow today and miss valencia because in my mind valencia is <clears throat> i know it's not the camp no but it's to be honest it's 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 up there for real madrid in terms of difficulty and i would have rather gambled um not getting him a yellow today, um, which didn't happen anyway, but and and trying to get to Messiah, maybe getting an early lead, uh, a two goal cushion or something, and then subbing him off there, and then hoping for the best instead of guaranteeing you don't have him in one of those two games. Maybe you can maybe you can take him in both. Um, it's risky, but um, and for the people who think that Casemiro will um, sit out Valencia so he escapes caution, Zidane said in the press conference after the game that um, he's going to be, what was the wording? He said something like he's going to have to yeah, the, play cautious. The word he used. Yeah. The word he used in Spanish was aguantar, which has lots of translations to English. You maybe like endure withstand. I went for hang on. That's one of the translations you can have on it. And he said, yeah, he has to hang on one more time, which implies he's going to be playing at Mestalla. Um, it's an interesting conversation, but I don't really understand why you have to pick one of these hard games coming up for him to miss why can't he just not get booked again and yeah, and play them all? That seems too. to be Zidane's uh, message. And you look at it, he's not got booked in any of the past uh, four matches in La Liga, all of which have been wins. So when Real Madrid play well and they're winning, he doesn't have to get booked. So, uh, you know, I think, I think Casemiro can... I actually think he'll be getting a suspension probably in January time or something, the way he's playing just now. He's so sharp, he's so on the ball that he's not having to make rash or or late tackles, and he's a very smart player as well. He knows the situation he's on. And you look at it, Casemiro has been booked a lot. But remember when he got sent off, I think it was last year, was it Vidalit? And it was like the first time he'd ever got sent off in yeah. his club career. And everyone was kind of shocked. How has he never been sent off? Because he knows, once he's got a booking, how to not get the second one, unlike Mendy, for example. So Casemiro is basically playing every game thinking he's been booked in the first minute and trying not to get that. And he's very, very good at it. The The strange thing about all of this, though, of course, is um, that it was totally avoidable because he was supposed to be on four yellow cards when uh, Real Madrid were going into the fixtures before the originally scheduled Classical. And then Real Madrid appealed one of his yellow cards and managed to get that taken away um, oh, so that he would... Um, so that he wouldn't go into the game before the Classical, which I think was a Mallorca game, so that he wouldn't go into that at risk of this situation. Huh. But because, because they tried to uh, get it taken down from 4-3, they managed that, and then he picked up his fourth one against Betis, which would have been his fifth, and would have meant he would have missed the Ibar game, which um, I'm sure Real Madrid would have won anyway. So uh, it's, a, it's a kind of thing where you've got to be careful what you wish for. You know, Don't try and play yellow card god too much with this kind of thing. We've seen it by Real Madrid in the past with Ramos and Carvajal getting extra uh, matches for forcing yellow cards. Just play 
play your game, don't worry about the yellow cards, and things will take care of themselves. If he does get a yellow card and has to miss the classical, Zidane will find a way of dealing with it. If he gets a yellow card and misses a really important other game, or if he were to get one today and miss Mestaya, it will be dealt with. Just play your game and don't worry too much about these sort of administrative issues. That's my view on it, and I think that's a view Zidane shares. I agree with you 100% on everything you just said. Um, I I think it's... I honestly would would almost every day take a gamble and just want him playing both than to, to decide I'm going to not play him against Valencia in an almost equally tough place to play. Um, the counter to that is that... And this is not necessarily my counter. This is the counter that I've seen, is that um, mm. there's no way he escapes the bloodbath the of the Colosseum of the Messiah where everything is hostile and he, someone will get under his skin and he will react. Um, but like you said, like this is... And by the way, the only red card, that red card was ironic because it came at a time where like I don't... Of all times to get a red card, I think it was something really silly. Like wasn't he said something to the ref or something? It wasn't even a tackle or something if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, but... Yeah. Going back to what I said, I think he's smart enough to know the situation he's in and to be able to control himself. If he does pick up a yellow card, I think it'll be for a late tackle, um, for pure for pure execution, not for being silly and um, you know, doing something rash. Uh, one more thing before we take a couple of questions and wrap it up. Uh, bef- on uh, when I when I saw that 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 horror day like a couple of days ago, where we had three injury reports: Hazard, Marcelo, and Bale. Um, when I saw Marcelo got injured, I kept it to myself for for reasons <laughs> not to jinx it. But anytime Real Madrid lose one left back, they somehow lose a second one, and I I didn't expect it to be like this. I thought through maybe some voodoo injury would happen, but Mendy goes in um, somewhat clumsily, if you ask me, and and completely avoidable, and get picks up a second yellow card and gets sent off, which means he misses the Mestaya game. So what do you do? if you're Zidane for that game at the left-back position? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So today the solution he had was to bring on Eder Militao and he played, finished the game at left-back, but of course that was only for five minutes or so. And Militao has never really played left-back before. He played right-back about a dozen games or so at right-back for Porto. Um, He's a right-footed guy, so he's never played at left-back. But of course part of the the reason, I guess, is you had Odria Zola on the bench, but Zidane didn't turn to him. And I don't know, we've had it before, haven't we? The Granada game, there was no left-backs. And what Zidane did was he had Carvajal on the left as left-back and Odria Zola on the right. So that's one option. Or maybe you have Militao or maybe Nacho if he's Matt Sharp enough. Um, I, I really think Nacho will play now in midweek in Bruges. Uh, I think Zidane will give Nacho 90 minutes there, get 90 minutes under his belt, maybe even at left-back so he can prepare. Although I suppose... You probably would play Mendy if um, uh, in midweek if you can't do him, use him at the weekend. So lots of options. I don't think it's too big a uh, a problem really because you know Valencia aren't the kind of team that really hit you at the wings, are they? They're the kind of team that go through the middle through Danny Parejo. So I don't know. I don't think it's as big a deal, uh, something to freak out about. But it's not good to not have Marcelo and it's not good to not have Mendy because up until his red card today, he was very good. Well, just that um, Valencia do have a very, very informed um, guy on that left flank who's been awesome this year. But um, I think I was I was going back to that Granada game too, and I and actually Carvajal had a really good game in that game. I mean, like with the I guess the the caveat that 
Granada. It was one game and it was against Granada and who knows what that sample size mm-hmm. meant. Um, but he was good in that game and he's been good this season. So it may not be disastrous, but that also assumes that Odrizola would go in at right back and and um, and play well. And he's been kind of up and down this season and kind of mentally was tough mm-hmm. for him that Mallorca game. Obviously, we've talked about it. So it'll be interesting to see what Zidane does there. Um, all right, a couple patron questions. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Um, both of these game one one of these questions came in midway through the game, and the other one came in uh, slightly before. Uh, Frederick Rantakiro says, "I'm pro rotations, but I never was a big fan of Zidane's way of rotating the whole lineup and changing the formation to fit all the players in. I know it was very effective in the 16-17 season, but back then we probably had the deepest squad ever assembled. Ever since the Mallorca debacle, we have seen very few rotations. Do you think that that game changed?" Um, Zidane's rotation policy or will we start seeing the B team rotations again in La Liga yeah Zidane spoke a little bit about rotations afterwards and specifically about Modric and he was basically saying you know Modric all the midfielders understand they have to take turns out and yeah Zidane really does seem to be approaching rotation differently one or two changes at a time I think it's six changes to the lineup for today's game but most of that was because of the injuries um, so Zidane has, has changed I guess a little bit and I think the question's got it spot on the reason is probably because the 2016-17 squad was better it was deeper you look at the bench today you have guys like Audrey Zola who just said hasn't been too reliable you've got Isco but 2019 Isco isn't the same as 2017 Isco you've got Jovic who isn't at the level that Murata was back then. So you've got, you know, and you've got Modric as well, maybe on the bench, who's um, not the same as, as what he used to be. So it's not as deep a squad, so you can't really just play a completely different side. And I think another thing to remember is La Liga's La Liga as a whole league is better than it was. That was the first season of the, the new TV deal where um, it was a fairer distribution of TV money. And since then, certain clubs have seen their TV money go up by about 100%. 150%, things like this. So now every game is tough. You look at teams like Espanyol, they can have a guy like Wule, like Cayeri, like Mark Rocca, who Bayern Munich wanted. They can afford to keep these guys. They can afford to buy these guys. Whereas some of the games where Zidane rotated um, in 2016-17, I remember one in particular where he changed almost the whole team. Uh, do you remember the one at, away at Sporting Gijon, where I think it was a late goal, won, won the game. The East Coast goal. Sporting yeah, that Sporting Gijon team was awful. It was absolutely awful. And this Espanyol side, even though they're in the relegation zone just now, they have much better players. So you can't do that anymore because I think La Liga as a whole has changed at the same time as Real Madrid's squad isn't quite what it was two or three years ago. Well, it's, it is an interesting question. And I think, but also, I also think subconsciously rotations will exist regardless because of, like you mentioned, six today, um, just through necessity of injuries. Um so I like so Mar- if Marcelo was a, or sorry Modric was a clear rest and uh, and it was a rotation thing because he then said so after the game too um, he needs to rest mm. sometimes um, the other one who didn't play at all today was Isco um, and uh, he was he's been the big the last two games and so that could have been a, a rest thing um, so I guess it's interesting I think you'll still see just a, a wild volatile string of different lineups throughout the season because that's just the way it is there's always injuries there's always suspensions so um but he could he could have played Isco today but he decided to go Vinicius and Rodrigo and Zidane said something interesting after the game that he said um 
it was Vinicius's turn today, um, and he did well. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means like this was a predisposed, pre pre planned rotation for him, um, or whatever it meant. But I, I do think, um, I do think we'll just see a lot of rotations by default, even if he wants to or not, because of the injuries. The other thing about that sixteen seventeen season you mentioned, because I remember, I it's funny when you said, um, do you remember that performance? You could have said five different games from that season, and I would I couldn't have guessed which one because there were so many different mm. ones where he did that. Like there was uh, against Deportivo away, I remember Espanol away. There was a whole mm-hmm. brigade that like literally led by Morata, James, and Lucas Vasquez. And uh, and you talk about another guy who was just better in sixteen seventeen than he is now, Nacho, who was a huge part of that rotation too, where you could put him at right back, left back, whatever, and it was it was uh, it was all awesome. Um, Okay, last question, Ewan. Marin Myrtle mm-hmm. says, what is a stat you wish existed, existed? I remember one of you saying sometime that in 30 years there would be stats that showed what Benzema did for the team and he would be practically off the charts. I've seen people say the same thing about Zidane as a player. Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Um, because we we have more and more stats that come up, but it's like if you could invent one, and I guess if I was to invent one, I would look at the centre-backs, at defenders, right? Because it's so hard to analyse how good a defender does because you can look at things like clearances and tackles, but um, someone said that Maldini or somebody said, if I have to make a tackle and I've already made a mistake, yeah. you know, so uh, I would I would quite like to see some kind of stat that shows you the number of goals present, uh, prevented by good positioning of centre-backs. I go, I go back to this game today against Espanyol. Ramos and Varane's positioning, the way they dealt with Wooley moving around all across the pitch, they did so well for that. But there's no stat to record how many chances or goals they prevented by excellent positioning. So if I was to pick a stat, I'd quite like to see some way of measuring that. I have no idea how you would manage to do that. I think there's a. I I can't think of one particular thing off the top of my head that I would like to see. Um, but I've, but it's it's difficult in football to get like certain stats that exist in other sports. Um, but I would be interested to to kind of figure it out. Like, for example, NBA has this plus minus stat, and like X player, when X player is on the court, the team outscores their opponent by this much. They score this many, they concede this many. That's something that's really difficult to do in football because there's 11 players and three subs and a bunch of variable things that happen. And so the presence or uh, or absence of a certain player doesn't necessarily correlate directly with a win or a loss or a goal score or or, um, or conceded. Um, as we know with Lucas Vasquez was like, um, there was like 25 games straight that when he played that Real Madrid just uh, won every time. And But also like the <laughs> the... The uh, the other thing, the other side of the coin was, well, guess who else uh, fit that bill? Cristiano Ronaldo, Luka Modric, and all this. But there, what, there's one this year that is actually kind of interesting, and in that it's it's the Fede freak stat. And that Fede, when Real Madrid scores, uh, Real Madrid plays Fede Valverde in the lineup. They're basically unstoppable. They score a bunch of goals. They concede less goals. The stability of that. But I would like to see more detailed analysis of that. Of like, how can we take that into direction? In a, in a deeper direction and, and break it down as to why. Um, and it, it's going to be difficult to do that, but I think it's one worth worth discussing. Um, the other one is uh, not just, it's only because we, we recently discussed this on the podcast, but Matt brought up the fact that um, I forget who it was um, that suggested it, but someone 
was talking about shoulder scans before you get the ball, and that if you measure like mm. Chavi's the amount of time that Chavi looks over the court over his shoulder before he receives the pass, it's like uh, like eight times before he gets the ball, and that's why he knows exactly where to go and which which angle to turn. Something like that, I have no idea how you would measure, but that things like that I think are in the works for the future football analytics. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, some of the stuff they do just now is like all the La Liga games right now, they have cameras all around the pitch, and the way they track who receives a pass, who has uh, the movements of the players, they do that now with with cameras, with lasers, all this kind of stuff. The players yeah. almost don't even need to wear the, the GPS things anymore because it's cameras that measure uh, their yeah. movements on the field. So That's you know, how they do have, the heat maps, <laughs> I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you have more cameras, you can maybe even measure the every single slight movement of a shoulder and uh, stuff that will probably come one day. And um, uh, good luck to the guys who have to come up with the methods to do it because I'm not smart enough to, to work out how you even begin to do that. In the end, I think there's probably going to be a team of people like in Opta, they have people actually measuring things. Like heat maps, you can measure with cameras a little bit, but um, like some heat maps like Who Scored only measure the heat uh, of the touches. So like how many touches, where the touches are, like all those things. Um, it's it's a, it's a whole team that does it, so it's a lot of work, and that's hence why some of those underlying statistics are not um, publicly available because companies have to pay for them, and they pay a lot of money for them. Um, the Zidane point is interesting, though, because if you look at Zidane's stats, they're not that impressive, really. Um, but he's one of those guys that you just have to watch to understand his greatness in the sense that the amount of ways he, the, the, the things that he facilitates to carry a team and whether it's his World Cup or Euro runs as a player or with the clubs he played for, particularly Juventus and Real Madrid, that guy, like, just you just knew when he was on the pitch on your team, you, you were you were gonna he would like will his way to a victory and everybody felt that it was contagious he was an amazing player amazing distributor the composure the calmness everything all those things are hard to measure um so yeah i mean those there are going to be some intangible things that are always involved in this stuff when you're measuring the greatness of a player but um i do i do love the direction that stats are going in football i think it's a it's a it's a healthy it's a healthy direction it's heading into so yeah um Ewan, do you have anything else to plug before we wrap it up? Not really. I'd just say just get on Manager Madrid and see all the post-match stuff. Um, I had the free answers and free questions piece and Zidane's quotes, but there's already your immediate reaction. There's player ratings. There's lots more already up there. So, um, yeah, the site is packed with pictures of that lovely lime green kit that Real Madrid wore today. So mm. get over there and... Um, and check out the, the content on the site. All right, Ewan, thanks so much for your time, my friend. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk soon. Take care. No problem.